You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Neighbors and Nations. I'm Todd Stiles, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. I'm uh, very privileged and pleased to interview uh, what I consider to be one of my closest friends, Dr. Paul Miller, who's pastoring uh, Cornerstone Community Church in Sheraton, Iowa. I was uh, blessed by God's grace to be a part of seeing him land in Sheraton and uh, move here from down in Georgia. And what a blessing he's been to that church and to our state. I've known Paul for many decades. In fact, I was Paul's youth pastor when he was just a junior in high school. And then Paul worked with me as a volunteer youth leader for several years before moving on after graduation, becoming a youth pastor and now pastoring here in Sheraton. So I've got a number of years under the belt with Paul and he's just a dear, dear friend and and fellow worker in the trenches. And so this interview will have a lot of that flavor and I think you'll really enjoy it. Paul is what I consider to be a, a true communicator of God's Word. He digs deep to, to get to the bottom of the intent of the author. Uh, he communicates it relevantly, practically, and yet accurately. And I have the highest of, of admiration for Paul. And So I hope you'll enjoy this interview as, as you hear more about a pastor in southern Iowa who is committed to both neighbors and nations. He's got a clear Acts 1-8 strategy for his church and it's fleshed out in so many beautiful ways. I know you'll enjoy this, and if you're a church leader, church member, you'll find this interview to be helpful uh, and edifying. So enjoy, listen in, as I interview Paul Miller on this episode of Neighbors and Nations. Welcome to another edition of Neighbors and Nations, really glad you've joined us, and I'm excited on this episode to have a good friend of mine, Pastor Paul Miller from down in Sheraton, Iowa. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brother Todd. I've really been looking forward to this. Thanks so much for the invitation. Well, I'm looking forward as well to talking about Neighbors and Nations with you. I know you've got a big heart, not only for local outreach, but also for global missions. But before we jump into all that, how about just some brief bio stuff on you? And I don't necessarily mean... uh, bio in a weird way. Okay. (laughs) How about a little biographical stuff, not biological stuff? Who is Paul Miller? (laughs) I'm just a guy that's been saved by God's grace. Um, I grew up about 20 minutes west of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, My dad was born again as a teenager under the ministry of Charles Stanley at First Baptist Atlanta when Charles Stanley was just a young man. And, uh, and, and my mom grew up Lutheran and she had religion, but she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And in the early eighties, I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ at the same time that my mom did. And my brother at uh, community Grove Baptist church, where you were my youth pastor in a few years later, Todd, uh, That's when right. I was about a junior in high school, but yeah, so I went to Georgia tech and studied chemical engineering and had a 10-year career in the paper mill industry. And uh, Randy and I had two children at that time. And and then God called me into ministry in 02, uh, right about the time my dad was killed in a car accident. I had been running from the call for a year. And then, um, man, God used my dad's death to 
just really awaken my heart to the reality that I couldn't run from this call of ministry. And so I surrendered and was a youth pastor in uh, east of Atlanta for 11 and a half years. And Brandy and I had three other children. We have five children and two are in college now. Uh, my mom lives with us. Todd, as you know, God used you. You're the link to move me from Georgia to Iowa. Um, I think you gave my name to Cornerstone actually in 07 and again in 2012. And so that's true. We ended up here in 2013. You're a hard one to reel in, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about our upcoming conversation a few weeks ago. And I think one of the first stories that I remember that indicated to me that God has put in you a heart for others whether it's locally or globally, but an indication that, man, Paul wants to reach people is, do you recall, I was a youth pastor at Community Grove Baptist Church, and we wanted to begin some kind of junior high ministry only to junior hires. We had kind of been one big youth group for all kids, but we needed a leader. And I remember talking to you about, would you just take the junior hires under your belt? And we only had one junior hire. Do you remember that? Greg Brown. You're right. And I remember your response was, I'll do it. And I remember now looking back thinking, you know, that's a guy who just wants to reach people. If he hears he's got one person he can work with, he's got to be thinking multiplying off the bat or who else would take that, right? And I love that about you, man. Well, to God be the glory. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but God was teaching me in those days how important it is to just be faithful in the little things, you know? And if God gives you one talent, then be faithful to invest that one talent. Or if it's one student or if you're preaching to a thousand people, you know, be faithful. And then he'll give you maybe opportunities to be faithful in bigger ways. Hmm. Now, you were at that point, were you already at Georgia Tech? Or I forget exactly how old you were when you took the junior hires over. Yeah, I think I was a freshman at Georgia Tech. Mm hmm. Man, what a good uh, what a good memory we have, and, and we share in that. And so, in full disclosure, Paul and I go way back. We're probably what someone called just really close and best friends, both pastors, and have a real heart for uh, expositional preaching. And we're cut from the same cloth in so many ways. And so, I'm excited to interview you in regards to neighbors and nations. So, Paul, your story you alluded to it earlier is really a neighbor story, isn't it? I mean, your mom and dad both came to Christ. Um, just anything about that, who are important people in your life, maybe in addition to your mom and dad that, that were a part of this whole neighbor story? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I just, I can't really, um, say enough about my parents. You know, I watched my dad, that's good. Um, really reach out to boys in my class that didn't have a dad. And, uh, I can remember, you know, we would be going deer hunting in Monticello, Georgia, on the east side of Atlanta. And I was looking forward to going and spending the weekend with my dad. And he would, you know, he would be reaching out to my buddies that didn't have a dad and, and inviting them to go along. And I remember having mixed emotions about that. I'm like, no, they're not going to shoot my big buck, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, he was modeling for me what it, what it really looks like to live on mission. And then my mom was always you know, um, and I don't know if you remember Bert Butts at Community Grove. I do remember Bert. He, he was a little artist. bachelor man and didn't really have a family around. And, you know, it never would fail on Thanksgiving. You know, there would be somebody else sitting at the table with our family. A lot of times it was Bert Butts. But 
you know, they just kind of modeled for me what it looks like to be on mission. And then Todd, I have to be honest, you're the other guy that comes to my mind. I mean, you know, you were my youth pastor for a couple of years there, but then I served under your ministry, you know, as a youth leader, just a lay youth leader. And um, man, I was watching you and uh, you were taking groups to Mexico and, you know, you were uh, you were teaching us to be on mission in our own Jerusalem right there in Douglasville, Georgia. And, you know, that that was really you're right. Honestly, I was not awakened to the <clears throat> the rest of the world until I was in my 30s, you know, for the first 15 years or so of my Christian life or maybe even 20 20 years, I was just strictly looking at neighbors and uh, I, I didn't really have any awareness of nations until I was in my 30s. What happened in those 30s then that helped birth this awakening to nations? Walk us through that. Yeah, I was uh, serving as youth pastor at Shiloh Baptist Church in Newborn, Georgia, east of Atlanta. And I can't remember if it was a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, but God just put it on my heart to go to the altar. And I, I got on my face before the Lord and I said, Lord, I... I repent that I have been so short-sighted. You know, I really, honestly, up until that point, I thought all Christians were independent Baptists who liked to deer hunt and jack their trucks way up in the air. <laughs> and I just thought that's what Christians were like all over the world. And uh, the Lord just, it, it was his spirit. He, he put it on my heart that I needed to repent of my short-sighted um, attitude and perspective. And I said, Lord, and I remember saying, Lord, I will go anywhere that you call me to proclaim your word. And brother Todd, the very next week, I got a phone call from Rodolfo Mojica, pastor in the Philippines. And I'd met him through pastor Danny, our lead pastor at Shiloh. And, and pastor Mojica invited me to come and, and preach at a pastor's conference in Manila. And I remember hanging up the phone thinking, Lord, when I said anywhere, I meant anywhere in the Southeast, you know, <laughs> Manila, where is that? And I got to look in and it was exactly on the other side of the world. But I had told the Lord I would go anywhere. And uh, I knew that he was giving me that opportunity. And so long story short, that's the trip that it was my first time out of the country. And God just really created in me a heart for the nations that I, I believe I will never get over as long as I live. There was one particular episode where I had been invited to preach to uh, at, a, at a church where Pastor Eduardo Cabajog pastors, and it was in a very, very poor part of Manila. And I remember we were walking up the road to the church, and it was a dirt road and there was sewage flowing, literally sewage flowing down the street, boys and girls playing out in the road without any clothes on. It was, it was a very, very dirty context. And we got to the top of the hill and here was a little church with, you know, no windows. And I got to preach there. And, um, and as I left, we were walking back down the hill and Pastor Eduardo's wife, Marilyn, she looked at me and she said, Pastor, I'm so sorry that this is such a dirty neighborhood. And she looked at me and she said, but this is where God has called us. You know, that seems like just a simple little statement, but um, man, that statement really 
just lit a fire in my heart to reach the nations. And, and I didn't even realize places like that existed. And since then, God's allowed me to go to Zambia and Malawi and Haiti and, and even Belgium, which is a different kind of hard. But um, yeah, God has really honored um, and blessed that, that commitment that I made that day at, um, at Shiloh. And I said, God, I'll go wherever you allow me to go. And I love the fact that you said yes to the question or you gave the answer. Yes. Before you even knew what the question would be in one sense, right? You said, Lord, I'll go. Yeah. Amen. And that's uh, uh, the need is often for us to pray those kinds of dangerous prayers. We might call them. Yeah. I love what I heard JD Greer say one time, you know, put your yes on the table, let God put it on the map. Isn't that good? Mm, amen. Hey, uh, talk for a minute about the value then of short-term trips and helping pastors perhaps move their people towards a more global perspective. I mean, there's some discussion within church circles about the value of short-term trips. Are they worth it? Are they worth the investment? Are they more like, you know, free vacations? And there's just different viewpoints, but it seems like in your perspective, that trip really kind of helped uh, turn the tables a little bit. So, What's your perspective on short-term trips? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think short-term trips are are super important. And I don't want to say that God doesn't use the work that we do and the gospel that we share on a short-term trip. Certainly, I believe that he does. But yeah, they're probably more so for the people going than than for the people that you're going to spend time with. I mean, uh, again, it was it was actually on that short-term trip to the Philippines where God just kindled in my heart, a you know, a passion for reaching the nations. And, and so then, you know, since then, uh, Brandy and I made a commitment that we would take each of our five children on a short-term mission trip to uh, what we might call a third world nation or, uh, you know, a, 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 pe- a people that don't have near the access that we have to the gospel that we would do that before they graduated from high school. And, and we started that with Laura and we just barely made it. Um, she, she was a senior in high school with Paul Robert. We got a little earlier start. I think he was a, a sophomore or junior when, when I took him to Haiti and now John David, he's a freshman and we're making plans as soon as COVID-19 will relent and we can, you know, we can cross some borders. We're hoping to take him to Africa. He's got a heart to go. And so anyway, we are, um, you know, we're, we're big believers at Cornerstone and in those short term trips, just to awaken someone's heart to, to the lostness of our world and to the reality that, you know, all Christians aren't um, sweet tea drinking Southern boys, you know, (laughs) you know, I'm glad you said it so plainly. When you said the truth is most of the trips we take are probably for those who are going, it brought to mind a story that happened. uh, In fact, when you were at Community Grove with me, I remember our deacons asked me to come in and review for them the results of one of our short-term trips. I'm not sure if it was one to Mexico or maybe one a domestic one in which we did evangelism in in, uh, the Spokane area with Fred Johnson. But I I was asked to come in, not in a weird way, but just like to give a report and review. And I remember the Holy Spirit 
just encouraging me and prompting me to share with our deacons that we probably didn't primarily go for the folks that we were witnessing to. We probably went for the 10 kids from this church who needed an awakening to God's work in the nations. And all of those deacons, I remember, looked at me like, that's not the right answer. (laughs) Like, we didn't invest that money for these kids. Didn't we invest it for those who were going to hear the gospel? And so I just remember saying, yes, we did. But guys, we're probably doing more for our kids who are going in these trips than we have ever realized. And to hear you voice that, it's, it's, a, it's an encouraging reminder of that many things happen on these trips, don't they? Absolutely. Amen, Brother yeah. Todd. Praise God for your heart hey, for that. Let's, uh, let's dive into some ways you do things at Cornerstone Community Church there in Sheraton. Um, I think, and I've been there several times, um, I think in one of the areas of your lobby or at least where you have some gathering space there's a kind of an acts 1 8 uh what i call a prescriptive guide to how you approach missions is that a fair estimation of what i see out there in that area yes sir absolutely we uh we we have a a metal cutout globe and it's it's really large and it's it's in our lobby uh kind of hanging over the door that where you enter the worship room and uh we've got some little blue lights illuminating the different places where God's allowed us to have some kind of missional work uh, or support a missional work. And, and then under that, yeah, we've got that portion of Acts 1-8 um, written in large letters on the wall, and you shall be my witnesses. And then if you turn around and go back out the door, you know, you've seen this. Uh, it just says, you know, you are now entering your mission, your mission field as you go back out the doors. And and so, um, man, we just really try to keep the Great Commission before our people. Every Sunday, we start the service with a reminder of our mission statement. And it has kind of five phrases or, or key words. But we say we long to be a united, Christ-centered family, reaching out with the gospel to make disciples of all the nations. And I really believe with all my heart that you know, Acts one eight is like you said. It's um, it's a prescription for the church that, you know, um, and and really Acts one eight is is it's one verse seven and eight are one sentence in the Greek, and you know the the disciples have asked, you know, so are, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And and you know Jesus says, um, you're you're asking the wrong question. You know, uh, it's not for, it's not for you to know these times and seasons, but, and that's a very emphatic, but in in the Greek, it's like on the contrary, here's what you do need to be thinking about. You, you know, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then he gives these four, you know, regions, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I just talked about this yesterday. But I think sometimes we we feel like it's a cafeteria where we can pick which region. Like I tell you what, I'll take Jerusalem, I'll take Iowa, you know, and I'll let somebody else worry about the ends of the earth. But that's really not what Jesus said. He said that all of you will be my witnesses here, not or here, but here and here, Jerusalem mm-hmm. and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so even though not everybody is sent to the ends of the earth. Maybe not everyone will go to the unreached in India. We can be a sender. We can pray. We can still have a heart for the nations. 
And so um, that's that's really the way we view view that verse. Mm, yeah, and it's very evident in your facilities. You know, we say a lot around here that uh, your presence may not be in every one of those areas, but your mindset needs to be. Amen. We need to be a, a both and people, not an either or people. So how do you uh, keep locals? And this is kind of a two-part question here in light of what you said. How do you keep locals thinking globally, yet how do you keep locals living locally? Right. So that they're not necessarily, you know, dichotomized in some odd way and, and not really good in either place. Walk us through some things you do that help your folks keep neighbors and nations in mind. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's a good question. And I think we need to do both. Um, you know, a couple of other things that we do to try to keep our people thinking globally um, would be each, each month our mission team meets and we invite the entire church to come to our monthly mission team meetings. We feel like our inter- entire church family is the mission team of Cornerstone Community Church. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a two hour meeting to talk about you know, how are we going to leverage the funds that have been allocated to this team to engage our faith family in in reaching the nations? And so uh, and then so we do have folks that we support from within and some other folks that we support that, that didn't come out of our church. But once a month, we'll have some intentional prayer time in our corporate worship service on Sunday morning for a different missionary that we've either sent or that we support. And uh, so that's another way that we try to keep global, you know, missions in front of our people. Um, You know, another thing that we do, we have a Ukrainian and Russian population in Sheraton. It's pretty significant. And uh, even though we just have a few that come that don't speak really good English, we translate our sermons into Russian and we the, the, the sermon points, we put them on the screen in both English and Russian. And I think that is another way that we just kind of keep, you know, people aware that, you know, there's a whole world out there, uh, you know, every tribe and every tongue and that God has brought the nations to us even. And so um, those are some things we do to keep our people thinking globally. But when it comes to living locally, living missional here in our Jerusalem, in our town, you know, our mission team does some events that uh, that are targeting Sheraton. We do a, an, an annual fall festival. I don't know if we're going to get to do it this year because of this pandemic. But, you know, we, we, we live in a town of 4,500 people and we'll have 12 to 1,400 people here on that fall festival, you know, Halloween alternative night. Uh, and that's that's completely funded and organized through our mission team. You know, a lot of people hear missions, they think of going to, you know, unreached people groups, but we need to be missional right here. Um, we do some other things. As a matter of fact, this weekend, we have a, a, a smoking competition where we'll smoke meat all night, Friday night, and then we'll serve our community a meal on Saturday. And, and our guys that are smoking the meat, they'll invite their persons of peace you know, guys that they've been trying to reach with the gospel, they'll invite them to come and be on their cooking teams. Uh, we're putting a, a, a Franklin Graham, uh, Billy Graham Association, My Hope DVD in every bag w- with the with the to-go plates that we that we give out on Saturday. Um, you know, Todd, something that you that I've seen you do at First Family is, you know, 
when someone gets a chance to lead someone to Christ, you encourage them to be the one to baptize that person. I remember being there at your church here several years ago and saw one of your daughters baptize a young gal that she had led to Christ. And so we're working toward that kind of a mindset with baptism. That's part of the Great Commission, right? Going, baptizing, and teaching. And I I think in a lot of churches, somehow we've decided that only the pastor should baptize. And that's really not what I see in the Bible. You know, I think we should be baptizing those that we get to lead to Christ. And so um, that, that's another way that we're, and we're starting to see that happen here at Cornerstone. Um, man, I've spent a lot of time trying to equip our people to, to share the gospel. Um, you've heard me talk a lot about Christianity Explained, a six-week presentation of the gospel. I talk about it. I, I teach it all the time. And several years ago, one of my great, I guess, celebrations as a pastor is some of our folks started really using that material and sitting down with their persons of peace and sharing the gospel. Um, and, and so another thing we do, and you've met Prashanth Daniel, he's passionate about apologetics, apologetics in street clothes, you know, in plain language. And, and Prashanth has taught our people how to engage, um, you know, lost people with conversations that you can turn to spiritual things as the spirit leads. So we just talk a lot about these things. Um, Try to teach people how to share their story. You know, the greatest thing that we have, the greatest tool we have for witnessing is probably our testimony. Mm -hmm. And so we try to, you know, in our new member class, we, (laughs) this sounds maybe tough, but you know, we, we require everybody to share their testimony, be able to do that because joining this church does not make you a Christian, you know, and not only do we want to hear it, but we want you to be able and ready to share your story of how Jesus changed your life. So I hear not only intentional um, strategies, I hear some intentional phrases and even some language. Maybe just pick one of those. I heard the word person of peace a couple of times already. So what's that like and what does that mean in your culture there at Cornerstone and Sheraton? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, so there in Luke, I believe it's Luke 10, you know, Jesus talks about the man of peace or the person of peace. And, you know, that that if there is a, you know, as he sent his disciples out to, to win souls, you know, he encouraged them to look for that man of peace. And uh, there's a few characteristics for that person. Uh, one, they want to talk to you. <laughs> Two, they want to hear from you. They want to listen to you. Three, they'll oftentimes want to provide for you, whether it's a meal or, you know, an invitation into your into your home um, or into their home. And so, you know, we, we use that word to mean just someone that is seeking. They're seeking truth. They're they're seeking answers. And of course, you and I know that no one seeks after God. The reason they are seeking is because God is seeking. God is drawing. And so we really try to teach our people to look for persons of peace. You know, I know there's another context in the realm of missiology where you would see the man of peace as a, you know, a prominent leader in a, in a, in a village or in a culture that can help you take the gospel to that, to that tribe. But we use that word per person of peace to just mean a seeker, you know, someone that the, you sense that God is at work in their heart. 
you know, in John chapter five, um, Jesus there is there at the pool of Bethesda. And it says that there's a multitude of lame and sick and blind and deaf. And Jesus picks out one guy and he heals him. And of course it's the Sabbath and that stirs everybody up. And, uh, but, but there at the end of that kind of at the end of that narrative, Jesus says something very, very significant. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does. These things, the son also does in like manner. And so we try to, you know, help our folks see that Jesus was the master disciple maker. And Jesus was really just looking for where's the father working. And so that's, that's what we mean by person of peace. You know, you're, you're out on, on the little league field and, and you, and you're looking to see God, where are you at work in whose life are you at work drawing? Mm-hmm. That's where I want to go. And I want to build a conversation and build a relationship. So that's how we use that, that phrase. Well, that's really good. And that builds an awareness, doesn't it? Can I have your radar up all the time, so to speak? Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. So let me just kind of uh, see if I can probe even deeper into your heart. We may have some good tension points here as we kind of wrap this up. This will be good for us. Uh, Use the word access earlier. Um, so, So talk a bit about access versus need because we know need is everywhere, but access really isn't. And I think that's one of the continued points of discussion in missiology in this neighbors and nations conversation is, uh, you know, where do you prioritize your funds? Where do you prioritize your energies? And uh, should we focus more on places with least access? Does that demand more, even if the need here is great? So just kind of maybe share some of your thoughts, your views, um, even if maybe we were to disagree on that. I'd like to know how you how you work with those two words, access and need. Well, everybody needs the gospel. Amen. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm drawn. I'm thinking back to, you know, in the book of Acts when Philip, you know, was enjoying a great revival. And you correct me if I'm I'm going from memory here, if I get off. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, the Lord led him down to a desert road. Right. To 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 meet with a, an Ethiopian eunuch. And so, you know, if if Philip had kind of gone with the whole 1040 window uh, mindset, he probably would have said, no, I, I'm going to stay here where we're most populated with lost people. So I do think you have to be a little bit careful, you know, saying we're, we're only going to work or we're going to really prioritize in this window of unreached people groups. Um, but I mean, at the same time, you know, we are chasing daylight and, you know, we do want to we do want to make the most of our of our resources and our and our and our opportunities. Um, so I, I just really think that our heart should be broken for lost people. And if it's one Ethiopian eunuch out on a desert road and God puts it on our heart to go, we should go. Um, you know, my daughter and my son, Laura and Paul Robert, have both been through the fusion program at Spurgeon College Midwestern Seminary. And, you know, their heart is really for people that have never heard. And they train these young men and women to go to the hard places where people don't have access to the gospel. And, um, you know, I, I, 
Todd, would you agree that 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 is a real thing? Like there really are people that don't have access to the gospel like we do in America. I would agree with you. And I think, uh, I think it's an area of freedom to some degree. Churches can follow the Holy Spirit's leading in investing their resources and their energies. Um, I do think it it is a practically beneficial approach to target areas with least access. However, as you look at Acts 13, you know, as the Holy Spirit led that church and its elders in sending, is it Paul and Barnabas, I think? Uh-huh. I think every church has that has to have that kind of courageous authenticity to hear the Holy Spirit and then follow him as he leads them to think about the globe. And if we'll do that, God will put us where he needs us and he'll cover the bases and reach every single person that needs to be to hear. So Amen. there's some freedom there. But I, I, I think uh, it it can make practical, practical sense to target areas where there's least access. But. I just was curious how you approach it because I really like what Cornerstone's doing. I love how you lead your congregation, your flock, and I think you have a, a an intentional, well thought out approach to keeping locals living locally and also thinking globally. So, hey, any uh, any neighbor or nation stories you might want to just share that we can rejoice with you about? Yeah, I've got two in mind. Let me give you an, a neighbor story. Um, so, as when I was a youth pastor. Um, I, I met the Smith family and, uh, their oldest girl, Ashley was in the youth group at Shiloh, uh, when I became youth pastor in 2002 and then along came her sister, Lindsay, and then along came, uh, her little sister, Taryn and, um, their mama was a Christian, Miss Cindy, but their daddy was not, he was not a believer and was a little bit, maybe even an antagonistic toward Christianity and church. And, uh, he was a big, big, strong man. Anyway, he was, a, you know, he, he was the kind of guy that people would be a little fearful of because he could throw you around if you wanted to, you know, and, <laughs> but I remember those, those girls for 11, I'd say 11 years, the whole time I was a youth pastor, one of those girls was in the youth group and I prayed with one or more of them at the altar nearly every week for their daddy, Tony Smith to be saved. And uh, shoot, I'm about to tear up just thinking about this. Um, so we we began a recreation ministry, and Tony kind of began to get involved with playing ball with us. And man, I began to realize that while Tony was not a person of peace when I met him, he had become one that God had God was beginning to draw him. Well, several years prior to this, my friend David Marshall had introduced me to Christianity Explained, and Brother Todd, about six weeks before we were leaving to move to Iowa, I asked Tony if he would be willing to go through the gospel with me and just let me have the privilege of sharing with him what it meant to be a Christian and why I had decided to be a Christian. And he said, yes, I'd love to. Now, this now this was after several years of building a relationship with him on the ball fields and in various contexts. So, so we did. We began to sit down once a week. I would go to his house. I would share the gospel with him. And on that last session, we met and the moving truck was outside on the, on the curb. And when we finished, I got in the truck and I moved to Iowa. And uh, I wept and I wept because, you know, you trust the power of the gospel with Christianity Explained. You don't come to the end of it and say, now, why don't you pray this prayer with me? You don't do that. You trust the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to save his people. 
And so I went up the road and, you know, began a ministry here at Cornerstone Community Church. Well, about a year and a half later, on a Sunday morning, I, I had left my phone in here on my desk in my office. And I walk in here and after preaching. And of course, Georgia is an hour ahead. I pick up my phone and it's blowing up. He's <laughs> blowing up with text messages. Brother Paul, Tony Smith got saved this morning. Brother Paul, Tony Smith got saved this morning. You're not going to believe what happened. And so um, I, of course, immediately began to weep and praise God. And uh, now Tony is sharing his testimony. He's teaching classes. He's serving in leadership at wow. the church. And, uh, you know, that just shows so much, you know, the power of prayer. Those little girls and that little wife praying for Tony all those years. And, mm, you know, God, God opened his heart and drew him in and, and put me there to share the gospel with him. And, and then there were still people there after he moved me that were able to, you know, draw the net and mentor him and disciple him and lead him to Christ. And so there's so many lessons to be learned, but wow. what a, what a celebration. Wow. One plants and one waters, but God gives the increase. Yeah. And then real, real quick, when Laura was overseas in Indonesia, she was living with a, a lady and I can't say her name for, for her own safety, but, but she had, she was in hiding from her family. She had converted to Christianity from Islam and, um, Laura was living with her and, uh, somehow, um, uh, one of the, one of the gals saw uh, Laura with this lady on social media and she did a private message to Laura and she said, Laura, is that so-and-so said her name? And Laura said, yes, it is. And this gal said, I met her five years ago when I was in Indonesia with fusion and she was not a believer. And she said, I have prayed for her every day since then. And, and so what are the chances of now, five years later, Laura being there, staying with her, and this picture making its way back to America, and this gal seeing out of 200 and whatever million people in Indonesia, you know, Laura is staying with this lady that this other gal had been praying for every day since she met her when she of course, was wow. a person of peace, a pre-Christian, I call them. Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, just those are just two quick stories of how, man, God's at work calling to himself a people from every tribe and every tongue. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, hallelujah, Brother Todd. That's beautiful, Paul. Thanks for just helping us rejoice today in what God's doing. Hey, before I ask you one last question, uh, tell our listeners how they can connect with you. I'm not sure if um, it's an email or perhaps a, uh, a website, but how could folks, if they want to connect with you, contact you or hear some of your preaching or whatever, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our, our sermons are on uh, Facebook or, or our website. Our website is cornerstonecommunitychurch.net. And uh, you can look us up uh, cornerstone underscore Sheraton on uh, YouTube and Sheraton, C-H-A-R-I-T-O-N. Uh, my email is paul at 3cslife.com, paul okay. at 3cslife.com, and that stands for Celebrate, Connect, Contribute, Cornerstone Community Church. Uh, 
yeah, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, Paul R. Miller Jr. You can find me out there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I want to commend your preaching to our listeners. I hear a lot of sermons every week on purpose, as you probably do. A lot of guys do that. Uh, but there's one feed I always listen to, and I love hearing you preach. Uh, it brings joy to my heart. And I think you do a great job dividing the word accurately and helping your people grow. And so I want to commend that to our listeners. It'd be a worth your time, listeners, to catch us a podcast. Paul, one last question for you. Uh, what's something you hope to see God do before you die? And this may, maybe this is selfish. Uh, I don't know. But I, you know, I did when I was in the Philippines on that first trip, God so broke my heart for the, for the world and for the nations that I asked him if he would allow me. And I think my heart was pure in this. If he would allow me to preach the gospel on every continent. And, um, you know, that I know maybe that's selfish, but I would love this if God would allow me to preach the gospel on every continent. And and something else that I hope to see God do before I die is, um, you know, just continue to use my kids. And maybe we don't have grandchildren, um, but one day to see God use my children and grandchildren you know, to reach neighbors and nations and to and to invest their lives in this transcendent cause of making disciples of all the nations. You know, I've got a guy here in Sheraton. He's my one. You know, we have the Who's Your One campaign. And and I actually I've been praying for him the whole seven years I've been in Sheraton. And uh, just last week, I heard that his brother was born again. And uh, and these guys are, you know, they're they're older than me. and. And they they run in circles where you'd say, oh, it it take a miracle to save that guy, you know. Well, here's the truth: it takes a miracle to save any of us. <laughs> That's exactly and, right. Uh, and so I, you know, I've got a guy on my heart that before I die, I hope to see him born again. Amen. Um, Todd, it sounds I like thank you it sounds like the Father's working too, Paul. Yeah, Amen. You're seeing hey, that. I, I wanted to just take a quick second and thank you for mentoring me all these years and being such a great encouragement. To, to my heart and, and to my ministry, our ministry here, God's work here. I sure do love you, brother. Man, I love you too. And it has been a pleasure to just uh, be used by God to blow upon your flame at different times. I count it a real honor. Don't worry. Well, Paul, thanks so much for your time. I hope this interview and just hearing more about God's work in your life and in your church has encouraged our listeners to, to think with both and attitudes and to ask God to keep developing their heart to be one for both neighbors and nations. Thanks so much, buddy. Thank you, Brother Todd. Love you. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.